Welcome back, everybody. It's another week of Trashy Divorces. Hooray! My name is Stacy. I'm Alicia. This week, we're pairing two divorce-ish profilees together that have become quite the unlikely team over the last few years. A dynamic duo that I think arguably we've all needed. Both really unique characters. Who are you going to start us off with? Snoop Dogg, yo. All this drama up in the trashy D. (sighs) Snoop Dogg does not have a full-on divorce, friends, but there is a divorce filing, and the story has some terribly trashy elements, but it is also a story that just may make you believe in true love as well. Stacy, this week you're bringing us the domestic diva. Sure, the the partner in this pair of besties who actually has done time in federal prison, and it's not the person you think. It's Martha Stewart. It was a good story. Yeah, a little, little insider trading, maybe. And a trashy divorce. And a trashy divorce. Mm-hmm. We have a few thanks to give out. We do. Before we start our episode this week, we have some new patrons on our Patreon where you can get, just like these fine folks, ad-free episodes for our Sunday episodes and fresh new trash candy. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every single week. Stacy, I have this beautifully styled magic mirror right here. It's a good thing. <laughs> it is a good I'm gonna thing. I'm going to hand it to you. Who sure. do you see in the magic mirror this week? In the week? depths of our magic mirror of gratitude, I see Cynthia H., Justin... Aaron W, Kathleen, Jessica M, Sarah P, Kirsten J, Brandy C, Deborah S, Melissa, Stacy K, Megan A, Allison W, Stacia S, and Claire Genevieve. Thank you, all of you. Yes, thank you so much for, for joining your, us. Yeah, for your support and your trashy patronage over there. Thanks to everybody for coming back for this Sunday's up, where we're all going to get Hi. Oh, no, sorry. Bye. With a little help from our friends. Alicia, what should the people do now? Definitely. We should go, go, go. (laughs) Alicia, I understand this week you have the unlikely BFF of lifestyle magnate Martha Stewart. Is that true? I I do. We're going to talk more about their... Unlikely friendship this week in Trashy Tidbits on Monday. But Mm -hmm. this week, I am bringing you an almost divorce and a hell of a love story, too. Uh, We're going to talk about Snoop Dogg. From gangster rapper to movie star to friend of Martha, he has taken quite an evolution in his life. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Cortazar Calvin Broadus Jr. Mm -hmm. is his given name, but Calvin's going to be known as Snoopy. From an early age, his mama thinks he resembles Snoopy, the winsome pup of the Peanuts comic Mm -hmm, strips. And alas, that is how a nickname is born. Yeah. Snoop is born October 20th, 1971 in the LBC, Long Beach, California. Okay. He's a Libra man, but also born in the cusp of drama and criticism. This is the Libra Scorpio cusp. These folks are honest. They're upfront. They rarely hide their opinions. They can be pretty cool on the surface, but have a little bit of a temper too. You're looking at Venus and Pluto here ruling over this cusp. It's an air-water mix. Kind of interesting. Young Snoop is musically inclined. 
from a young age. He was playing piano, doing church stuff like a lot of young musicians do. But when Snoop's about six, so this is 1977, like the 70s are coming for you. And rap is becoming a thing. And Snoop likes it a lot. He will attribute a lot of his success to being a 70s kid. Snoop will say, any rapper who comes from the 70s got a little bit more flavor than the 80s babies. The music we listened to as a kid gave us more melody. The 80s was about a gold chain, jerry curl. It wasn't about flavor. Everything in the 70s was flavor. The basketball players, Red Fox, Al Green, Soul Train. Growing up, Snoop is not really close with his dad. He has another fatherly ideal as he is growing up. The neighborhood pimps. Oh. Growing up, all the pimps in the neighborhood are the dudes. They're the stars. Uh, Snoop will talk about this. Like, guy comes rolling up in a baby blue Cadillac, wearing a baby blue suit, women pouring out of the car in baby blue dresses. They'd break me off a few dollars, let me wear the hat, sit behind the wheel and pretend to drive. Like, Snoop grows up thinking, I want to be just like you. Like, this is his literal dream is to be a pimp. That is the coolest thing you can be. And it, it it's so funny because it's the influence on him that he really, they acknowledge him. They pay attention to him. There's a... There's a fatherly sort of bond there. Does that make sense? It does. In high school. Mm-hmm. Old Snoop's going to play quarterback first team. He's into football. It is hard to believe that someone that skinny could get away. Like, I'm sure he's very strong, but still. Yeah. I just, you know. I know. I don't look at Snoop Dogg and think that man should play football. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't his only big success in high school. He also wins the school's Halloween costume contest two years back to back. Dressing as a guess what? As a Snoopy? As a pimp. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Like, I need you to understand how deep-seated okay. this thing is with him. Also in high school, Snoop is going to meet a girl who must be a real-life angel. Her name is Shantae Taylor. She's a Scorpio girl. She's born 10 days after him, October 30th. Shantae's dad may have done some pimping as well in the early days, according to Snoop. But Shantae and Snoop, it's young love. The heart wants what the heart wants. And sometimes it's just that easy. High school sweethearts, they are a thing. In 1990, Snoop is convicted of cocaine possession. Spends some time in jail. Where all of the older crips in jail are on to him about his talent with rapping. Like, dude, you, you need to do this. And music is going to become a thing as he's going to refocus Onto the music to get him out of some of the scrapes that his early years included. Snoop is going to end up doing a few demos with his friend Warren G and his cousin Nate Dog. They have this rap trio known as 213. And these stylings get the attentions of Dr. Dre, who is the half-brother of Warren G. Everybody's related. Okay. Okay. Dr. Dre is going to invite Snoop to audition and they're going to end up doing a song and it turns into more than a song and no one is more surprised than Dre when Snoop becomes the breakout star on Dr. Dre's 1992 release, The Chronic. (laughs) Like, nobody's seen anything like Snoop before. I did not realize that The Chronic was Dr. Dre. Well, no, it was Snoop's big break, though. That that makes a lot of sense with the... Well, like, 
permanent so tie say Dr. Dre didn't give me my big break. People already knew who I was. They knew what I was doing. But it certainly pivots him into a mm-hmm. instant kind of celebrity national spotlight sort mm-hmm. of thing. 70s kids, yeah. So Chronic is 1992. In 1993, Snoop is going to come out with his first solo release called Doggy Style. Debuts at number one. Sells 5 million plus copies and Snoop's on his way. He's going to become the face of Death Row Records, headed up by Suge Knight, which is a whole different podcast entirely. But 1993 is also going to bring an arrest for a homicide charge where Snoop uh, is involved in a shooting death. He's acquitted along with his other co-defendant. They're defended by Johnny Cochran. Well, too, as well. Yeah. Again, trashy divorces, like stick to the subject, Alicia. Yeah, I'd somehow forgotten about that. Mm Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten to Snoop and Shantae getting married yet. So let me let me refocus. I encourage y'all to find available resources about Death Row Records and Snoop's music. And I'm going to do reggae now and change my name to Snoop Lion. Like all of that is out there for you to discover that. We are here for the trashy, huh, not divorce. Okay. Shantae, after all this, in jail, record releases, Shantae still at his side. 1994, their first child is born. Awesome. June 12th, 1997. Shantae and Snoop Mary. There's another child that's born that year in 1997. There's another kid that comes in 1999. Just so you know, there is a child that is born in 1998 that Snoop is the father of. Shantae is not the mother of. So, like, faithfulness, maybe not always a thing. I mean, yeah. But these two, mostly, love and success and family and everything's great. And then that long ago dream of Snoop's is going to come back. He has not yet fulfilled his life's mission to become a pimp. But it's coming. So like being a famous hip hop star was not enough? No, No, that's not the dream. Being a pimp is the dream. That is his child, it is his entire foe. He wants to be... I feel like baby blue Cadillacs are not as cool as they once were. <laughs> well, 2003, Snoop busts out at the MTV Awards with two women on leashes. Hmm. And Snoop's like, yeah, that feels pretty good. So by 2003, he has put together an organization, essentially to fulfill his childhood dream of being a pimp. Never about the money. The women keep the money. It It's not a violent sort of pimp situation. But to Snoop, it's the fascination of being a pimp. The cars and the clothes and the women. And sure enough, he is rolling his little pimp bus all over the country, <clears throat> living out this fantasy life, right? Max okay. Julian, who plays Goldie in the Mac, which is a pretty big pimpin' movie, as well as Bishop Don Magic Juan, are two huge influences in this new enterprise. But remember, Snoop has a wife, and she tolerates it at first. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. she must get him at a deeper level, and maybe working out some of her childhood, Amago, too. She doesn't love it, but she's looking the other way. He's not bringing it home or around the kids. And hats off to you, honey, because I don't know if I could have lasted with my spouse touring on their pimp bus for a few years. But here's the thing that I find very, as unrelatable as the story is to some of us, here's what I find very relatable. They are falling apart. 
Like eventually Shantae's like, I, this is. I don't see how it could be otherwise. Like there yeah. is, there is certainly like, okay, this is the show that you put on. And I realize you have to go now tour with the show you put on, but yeah, this is a, this yeah, is, this is not a show. This is a, I want to change my life's work and ambition. Uh-huh. And this is the thing I find so relatable there's a 2000 interview in Sister to Sister magazine where Shantae is quoted because Snoop is coming to her saying, what should I do? And she's like, you're trying to leave me and you're asking me what you should do? Like, that is such a common. I know so many spouses like that. Like, if you want to go, go. Don't ask me what you should do. That is your thing, man. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating for her. It should tell him everything that she is the person that he goes to for that sort of information. Like, mm-hmm. there's your there's your red flag. There's your right? answer. Yeah. yeah. What should I do? Well, if you're coming to me to ask you what, and she won't tell him what to do. Yeah. She's like, you need to do what you yeah. want to do, man. Figure it out for yourself. So in May of 2004, Snoop is going to file for a divorce. And this is when he sort of gets way more into it. Whatever kind of thin veneer that he was like oh this is just for fun no it's not just for fun anymore he's into it by the end of 2004 early 2005 other pimps are like dude go home to your wife and kids why are like you're asking us what to do we're saying go home to your wife and kids snoop's gonna have this two-year binge we're i mean again other pimps are like go home But Snoop says he knows it's over when he falls for one of his girls. He's like, that is when you need to be done being a pimp. That is the cardinal rule is thou shalt not love one of your, a name I'm not going to use, one of your girls. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I'm sure that as with every field of endeavor, there, there are, there are rules for pimping. There are rules for pimping. And the first rule of being a pimp is you do not fall for one of your girls. I didn't know that either. I, who, I learned a lot knew? in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Divorce papers are withdrawn, and Shantae and Snoop do kind of work it out. Snoop is, uh, let's see, having to accept a different kind of relationship. He will say, before, I would never listen to her. Everything I say is law, but on the comeback, I'm more of an ear instead of a mouth, instead of a hand. Sometimes it irritates me to hear her talk shit to me, but when it's right, that's the way it's supposed to feel. Welcome to marriage, Snoop. <laughs> uh, he is not a perfect husband. He will tell you that, but he will leave it behind. He says, you know, I cared about my family. He's quoted here like he'd done it. It was it was fulfilled. The thing that he needed to get out was done. He says, if you had a dream of riding the Colossus at Magic Mountain and you get a chance to ride it, you're going to get on it. But I'd had enough. That pimping shit was cool because I needed to do it. It's in me, but I'm into the family. I'm into this now. In that same 2000 Sister to Sister interview, Shantae is asked, like, are y'all still just, you know, head over heels in love? She says, we're used to one another. I mean, it sucks that his job requires him to be gone a lot, but I'd prefer that than my husband here all the time broken in my face. (laughs) So it works out. We're older now, and I know he's not going anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere. We're here. Here's a follow-up question. Asked by the interviewer, what did Snoop say to the kids when he came back? How did he explain that? 
Shantae says, when he came back, we had the talk. My mom was part of it. He was just letting them know that he was sorry and what it's like to live his life as an entertainer. And it was hard. And he thought that was what he wanted. And that's not what he wanted. He told them why he came back because he loved me and them. And this is what he really wanted to do. Be a family. Snoop, for his part, will go on to say, my wife had to take a back seat to this shit. I love her to this day. Because she could have shook out on a oh, yeah. word I'm not going to say, but she stayed in my corner. So when I decided to let it go, she was still there. That is some kind of testament. Snoop will make a surprise bow renewal ceremony on January 12th, 2008. This will happen at Charlie Winson's ranch in California. Now, what happens? What makes this dramatic change and turnaround, like in 2005. Snoop is going to credit Stanley Tookie Williams for a lot of this. Uh, Stanley is notorious co-founder of the Crips. He stands in kind of like the big brother that Snoop never had, but he's got, Stanley Williams has kind of a bad reputation. He'll be in prison for multiple murder counts. And there he sort of turns his life around. He's an author. He writes kids books. He's an eventual nominee for a Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. He's an international peace mediator. Like, So he co-founded the Crips and then ha- has like gone into the completely opposite direction. Correct. Okay. Really changes around the way he is mm-hmm. living his life. He makes a difference in a lot of ways before his death by lethal injection in 2005. Wow. Snoop talks to him on the phone the day of his death and is understandably pretty shaken. You know, he's trying to be there to support his friend and Snoop is falling apart. And Snoop eventually breaks down and asks Stanley, just give me the message, man. What do I need to do? Because I'm weak right now. And Tookie just told me to lock head on them kids. I said to him, I know my mission now. So the pimping thing, kind of done. Snoop Dogg will found and be a head coach of the Snoop Youth Football League, which is like 10 teams of 2,000 players. Well, this, you know, 9 and 10-year-olds, he starts this in like 2005, and these kids love him. It's Snoop's new jam. Uh, The connection that Snoop feels with these kids is the thing. They all know he cares about them. Like, he knows what's going on in their lives. He'll even quit smoking weed for a little while because <laughs> parents were like, dude, you're high and you're here to coach our kids. So he that doesn't last long, but he will quit smoking for a little while. Okay, not actually during the game. How about that? <laughs> no, no, not during the game. But this uh, youth league sort of fulfills that feeling he got as a child from... Like the big men in his neighborhood. He's just found a different way to flip it in a way that is probably going to do much more to promote the growth of children as opposed to how to be a pimp 101. Mm -hmm. Whatever way you get there. Like all the kids know he's a famous rap star, but they love him anyway because they know he cares about them. There's a kid that's quoted that he coached. This art. This is a Rolling Stone article from, gosh, years 2008, I think. Again, check sources, trashydivorces.com for links to everything we use. One of the kids he coaches, he says he make it fun. Other coaches just want to win. He want to win, but he want you to have fun at the same time. 
Like, this is such a different sort of right. release in a way. I do love this particular quote. Snoop uh, says, this allowed him to make time for his kids. Like, I never did make time for my kids. I've seen them through gifts and money. Now through football, I spend time with them. Even if we sit in the house watching USC, we bonded. I used to put them in zero time, but now at least I was getting moments with them. Right? Because remember, Snoop isn't close with his dad. And he sort of sees this work. He He's quoted here. I'm breaking the chain. When I'm out there bonding with these kids, it makes their fathers want to become part of their lives if they're not. It's a beautiful thing. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's such a larger mission going on. He'll continue. I'm saving lives. Out here, boys get sucked into gangbanging around nine or ten. The football league gets a few kids off the street. They're at the age where that's what's happening. Instead of me doing that, I'm doing this. I just, I love this story. You can watch him do that now. He's got a whole television show called Coach Snoop, which is literally fantastic. I am in love with it. He's just doing the dream a different way. I don't see that there's any chance of slowing him down in anything he wants to do. Again, putting out music. Oh, God. Some trashy tidbits here just recently. He <laughs> has done a movie with, uh, all right, all right, all right. Oh, Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Where Jimmy Buffett, TD alum Jimmy Buffett, pops in for a role. Snoop and Jimmy have some real affection for each other. You should see their faces light up when they talk about each other. Uh, they're going to write a song together for that movie, which is called The Beach Bum. They write a song called Moon Fog together. Also, a little bit of an associated spiderweb for you that you may like. Snoop Dogg is the voice of Cousin It in the 2019 animated adaption of The Addams Family. Well, how about that? How about that? Shantae and Snoop going to be celebrating 24 years wow. of wedded bliss this year, which is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. considering the whole my few years as a pimp chapter in your marriage. Talk about standing by your man. Tammy Wynette would be proud of that. She's got to really just love him. And he's got to really know what a good thing he has. She is also a mogul. She owns her own company, Boss Lady Entertainment, I believe is the name. When it comes to trash cans on these two, I don't even know how many. But they're happy ones. (laughs) Filled with grass and tangeray, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure that that two or three years there was not happy. But wow, it's... There's never been a trashy divorce story like that. Almost a divorce. Why? Well, I went to be a pimp for a few years. I don't think we've had that. I think that's a trashy divorce's first. Yeah. Good for her. Stand by your man. It certainly would have been, like, nobody would have faulted her for being like, okay. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Bye-bye. See ya. Going to take these kids someplace safe. And uh, Uh, sometimes it's, when it's love, it's love. For sure. And it seems like he has learned a lot yeah. and managed to manifest that yeah. childhood because it, it always manifests, right? I want to be a big deal to kids when I grow up. I mean, this is a coach snoop. Dude, that's the greatest way to influence more kids than you're ever going to imagine. Yeah. Not just your own. Cause his kids play on like did mm-hmm. as kids are grown now, but you know, like played on the football league. His daughter was a cheerleader for the league. So it was a way to really sort of embrace that family aspect, not only for his kids, but for 
a lot of other kids too. This isn't predominantly white Orange County, California, right? Just remarkable. Snoop Dogg, he's a unique character. Yes, and um, has really interesting friends aside from an interesting familial story there. So we're going to come back and talk about one of his... Uh, M. Diddy. Boy. I believe M. Diddy was her was her prison name. M. Diddy? I think so. Oh, my God. It's in my notes. All right, let's take a break. And then we'll be back with a very good thing. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and... I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns, Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. There are over 90,000 people missing at any time, and over half a million are reported missing every year. And that's just in the United States. I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Jess Betancourt. And in our podcast, Missing Persons, we discuss cases of people who have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. And we're joined in each episode by guests who are either related to the missing person, investigating their disappearance, or advocating for answers in the case. Missing Persons is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and there are dozens of episodes to binge on right now. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? So, Stacey, you're bringing us the divorce tale of Martha Stewart this week, Snoop's unlikely newfound BFF. Yeah, that is that is exactly what I have. Yes, Martha Stewart, it turns out, was was married the one time. and uh, Never again. Apparently, it 
trashily collapsed. Anyway, I have details. Odds are good, if you're listening to this podcast, that you know who Martha Stewart is. Queen of the domestic sphere, entrepreneurial powerhouse, briefly a felon, and of course the unlikely Connecticut best friend of Snoop Dogg. For all of Stewart's cool, calm capability, she's also earned a reputation as an aloof personality and as a boss with some significant diva tantrums, but for all of her interpersonal missteps, it's likely that her 26-year-long marriage, which ended in a heated three-year-long divorce, that's what stands out as the most jarring life event of Martha Stewart's existence. Okay, so first of all, I don't have a ton of biography on Andrew Stewart, her ex-husband, her apparently long-suffering ex-husband. So we'll just let's do it the Martha way. I think that's the way she would prefer it, doing it the Martha way. Yes, always. Martha Stewart, or Martha Helen Costera at the beginning, was born on August 3rd, 1941. Big time, Leo. Yeah. She was the second of six children of Polish immigrants and grew up in Nutley, New Jersey. I would say it was a normal childhood, but somehow when she was like nine or ten, she starts babysitting for kids of New York Yankees players Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, and Gil McDougald. You were kidding. uh, The Mantle family in particular had four sons. So little baby Martha, she's babysitting for them, and then she starts organizing their birthday parties. (laughs) This would be the first of the very good things that she would become known for later. Amazing. It's amazing. She also started modeling when she was a teenager. So she supplemented like scholarships to Barnard College with $50 an hour modeling sessions for brands like Chanel. Yeah, she planned to study chemistry in college, but as so many of us do, she ended up studying architectural history instead. July 1961, just shy of her 20th birthday, she married Andrew Stewart, who was starting at Yale Law that year. They were married at St. Paul's Chapel at Columbia University in a wedding dress that Martha and her mother had made themselves from Swiss organdy purchased on West 38th Street in Manhattan. Of course they did. Of course they did. (laughs) Of course they did. So anyway, Andrew is probably a couple years younger. She was a sophomore in college. She went back. I think she took a year off probably for him to get settled into law school. And then she went back and finished her architectural history degree. I love it. After marrying... Both spouses completed their studies, and then after their only child, Alexis, was born in 1965, the Stewarts decamped to Westport, Connecticut, to better raise their babies. Just the one, actually. They only ever had the one. According to the book Just Desserts by Jerry Oppenheimer, an unauthorized biography, I might add, things were never super awesome between Martha and Andy. For instance, the ring that he gave her as a sign of their engagement... It was too small, in Martha's view, and she insisted that he go forthwith and fetch me a bigger ring, which he did. Sounds perfectly reasonable Mm. to this, Leo. (laughs) On their wedding day, she was apparently in no hurry to get to the chapel to walk down the aisle with him, making him sweat a little before she did ultimately become his wife. (laughs) On their European honeymoon, they struck up a conversation with a handsome young Englishman at an inn in Florence, Italy. After a few drinks, Andy begged off to go to bed and was floored when his new wife opted to stay up to hang out with the English guy. It was well past midnight when she finally joined Andy in bed, saying that they had gone to midnight mass at the local cathedral. Oh, because that's what you do with, I guess you go to mass at midnight with, sure, your exotic English 
Anyway, again, these are from an un- these these anecdotes are from an unauthorized biography, and I cannot vouch for their veracity, but they're good stories. Yeah, they are all the same. Oppenheimer, who has written a bunch of unflattering, unauthorized biographies of various celebrities, spares no expense in blaming Martha for everything that was wrong with the marriage. He says that she would pointlessly pick fights with Andy about unimportant things, saying, quote, her manner with Andy became the source of much stress and anxiety and anger. She was constantly accusing him of being dumb or stupid. There were times when there was utter and complete tension and hostility-filled silences between them that you could cut with a knife, but only the correct knife, obviously. Uh, only the correct knife. This the sounds terrible. anger-cutting knife. <laughs> Not to be... Con- I mean, if you try to cut butter with the anger-cutting knife... Not going to happen. No. You just end up it's with melted. very ragey butter, and no one wants that. Okay. The 1805 home that they purchased in Westport is on Turkey Hill Road. The house is called Turkey Hill. The household staff began to not so affectionately refer to it as Turkey Hell. No. They apparently, especially according to Oppenheimer, disliked Martha's shrieking at Andy all the time about everything. But I don't know. Maybe her frustrations weren't entirely impossible to understand. She was Martha Stewart. She was a driven perfectionist, even as a new mom in the mid-1960s. And it seems entirely possible that she's looking around the world like, oh my God, this is all I get to be, and was not happy about it. I want to be something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, And I think a lot of women were having that exact reaction at this exact moment in history. And so Martha decided she'd go get a job. So when Alexis was a couple of years old, Martha decided to go be a stockbroker like her father-in-law. And ended up, like, at a pretty prestigious Wall Street firm for, like, seven years. Great. It went really well. Yeah, she made a lot of money. I can imagine it did. So uh, I think there was a stock market crash in 73 or so. Read it somewhere. I apparently didn't note the dates. But anyway, she opted to leave Wall Street and start a catering business in Westport with a friend. Have you seen what I can do with a kid's birthday party? (laughs) She taught herself to cook by making every dish from Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Fantastic. Which is probably a perfectly fine way to do it. And from there, yeah, she launched a catering firm called The Uncatered Affair with a friend. The um, friendship will blow up as a result of this partnership. Okay. Um, Martha will ultimately buy the friend out to cause her to go away. Andy, meanwhile, had not opted for life as a lawyer in a big white shoe firm. Instead, he'd gotten into the publishing industry and in 1977 was president of publisher Harry N. Abrams Incorporated, which released an English language version of the Secret Book of Gnomes series, which became a runaway success. It was originally a Dutch. So are you familiar with this? No. The Secret Life of Gnomes, the Secret Book of Gnomes. I feel like I had this when I was a little kid. This is fascinating. So this thing becomes a huge success and just kind of like New York Times bestseller, big, big deal. So Andy hires Martha's company to cater like book functions, which is where Martha meets the head of Crown Publishing Group. Great. And, you know, she's schmoozing and charming and running the catering. Going to Midnight Mass. Going to Midnight Mass. Anyway, um, the head of Crown Publishing reaches out to her and was like, hey, how about a cookbook? You've got a cookbook in you. I know it. You've, you're exactly what we're looking for in a cookbook writer. Anyway, 1982, Martha's first book comes out, entertaining. 
This would be followed in quick succession by Martha Stewart's Quick Cook, Martha Stewart's Hors d'oeuvres, Martha Stewart's Pies and Tarts, Weddings, The Wedding Planner. I could go on. She's had a lot. A lot. A lot of books. Yeah. In other words, after doing the 60s thing of marrying young before you're even done with college and having a baby, and the 70s thing of exploring some ideas for a business, Martha Stewart spent the 80s really leaning in to what would become her lifestyle brand, Business Empire. Not quite yet, but she's it's on common. the road. Oh, yeah. Her success apparently had little impact on her ability to perform empathy with her husband, at least according to Jerry Oppenheimer's continued work. At one point, the couple took a vacation to Bogota, Colombia with another couple, and Andy developed a bad staph infection that riddled his face with green pustules. According to the other couple, Martha was furious that Andy had wrecked her vacation by having the temerity to get sick. And she also referred to the green pustules as the green meanies. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were back and forth allegations of cheating, or perhaps more to the point, Oppenheimer says that on at least one occasion, during an argument, Martha told Andy that she'd had a one-night stand while traveling on business. Andy apparently also acknowledged unfaithfulness during the marriage, according to the writer. And in 1987, Andy had enough and left. And his first ask of a judge in this matter was to get a court order um, that prohibited Martha from speaking to him. <gasps> Can you imagine? That's trashy. Like, I'm not even going to fight with you about this anymore. It's just over. <laughs> Woo, that might be another trashy divorce's first right there. That's 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 tough. What happens next? Years later, Andy would tell People magazine, I think we did a poor job as parents. We were too involved in our professional lives and fixing up the house. We were always making the home into a mythological place, but it wasn't a home. We didn't spend enough time with Lexi. So he says that if he had to do it over, he would quote Discuss the separation with Alexis. I never had a chance to do that. She saw her mother hurt, and she thought I was uncaring. One way or another, she got the facts wrong, as well as the interpretation. And apparently they have not had much of a relationship since, which I think is is very painful for him. Um, less so for her, perhaps. Okay, so Andy was also quoted by people as far back as 1980 when he was heard to say, Martha is not tolerant of my negligence or my foolishness or my eccentricities. And Andy, I'm so sorry, because everybody deserves to have their eccentricities celebrated. That's for sure. And even your negligence and your foolishness. <laughs> everybody. So by all accounts, Martha was absolutely crushed by the end of the marriage. But you do wonder if this is more about the narrative impact that a divorce has to her brand versus like a genuine heartbreak over a lost love. Or, you well, know, we've talked about this before, just the disappointment, like you don't get married for it to end. Right. Right. I mean, it's it is it's a shakeup of, yeah, your your sense of place in the world. Like it's not a failure, but you feel like, oh, God, this is the, you know, what yeah. a huge failure. But now if you're not happy. Right. Trashy divorces really does support a divorce if y'all are living a life that you don't want to live. Yeah. Together. Which it sounds very much like they had reached a point where. There was no further point in talking. <laughs> yeah, if there's a court order saying you can't talk, <laughs> Leave I would me say alone. you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, Andy would go on to love again, walking down the aisle in 1993 with a painter named Robin Fairclough, who had been part of Martha's team, <gasps> arranging flowers and consulting on style. What? Robin is 21 years Andy's junior. And I did see a report that says that they've since divorced, so I don't know how long they were together, or I don't know if they had kids. Did they meet at Turkey Hell, I wonder? I think they must have met at Turkey yeah. Hell. Yeah. 
Interesting. So yeah, like otherwise it seems like Andy, I mean, Martha Stewart right now is 79. So Andy's certainly in his eighties. He's probably just a retired, like happy retired guy out of publishing. Like he's probably doing pretty well, but he's very low profile. Martha was apparently not at all pleased by the Andy Robin postscript to their marriage, but what can you do? Alexis, their daughter, appears to have understood her father's departure as sort of a world historic betrayal. And while Martha is reportedly not the most nurturing mother around, she and Alexis have maintained a closeness that she apparently does not have with her father. Alexis even wrote a book called Whatever Land, Learning to Live Here, Hmm. where she talks about as a kid having to wrap her own Christmas presents because her mother had such a hands-off approach to parenting. That really? Mm -hmm. (gasps) Martha herself was quoted in Parents Magazine saying, quote, treat your child as you would any adult. With, you know, good conversation, with good instruction, with good encouragement. They're just like small adults. Oh, Alexis. Bless your heart. Martha herself has not married again, although her dance card has never exactly been empty of interesting and rich men. She was said to have a long on-again, off-again romance with billionaire Charles Simonier and even dated uh, actor Anthony Hopkins for a while when she was fresh off the divorce. And then she saw Silence of the Lambs. And his Hannibal Lecter freaked her out so much that she couldn't, like, she had to break up with him. (laughs) That just gave me joy to think about. He is a very talented actor. Very talented Mm -hmm. actor. Professionally, Martha continued to build her brand in the 90s. And by 99, Martha Stewart, living Omnimedia, held an IPO for its launch as a publicly traded company. With an initial price of $18 per share, it hit 38 by the end of trading. And Martha Stewart became... On paper and for a day. Anyway, America's first self-made female billionaire. Wow. I had no idea. Yep. Yeah, I'd forgotten that too, honestly. There was some chafing against corporate partners, as when Time Warner spent the early 90s warning her that a television show would cannibalize your magazine business. She knew it was (laughs) nonsense, right? Yeah, she... Sure, uh, Time Warner. Yeah, sure, Time Warner. (laughs) Give me some more good advice. (laughs) Right. She uh, ultimately had to, like, buy herself out of that partnership. Really? But yeah, then, then, like, the TV shows and the magazines and the everything and the Kmart housewares and all of it really worked well. She really is top-notch at brand voice. She, yes. She's got that angle 100%. Yeah. For sure. Uh, She played a bit role in our um, season two, episode four episode, Time in a Bottle, when she got into a well-publicized Hamptons land war with her Georgia Capon neighbor, New York City property developer, Harry Macklow. Oh, yeah. They ended up in court. It was like cell phones were new and she outfitted all of her her gardening team with cell phones. So when the Hamptons zoning board or whatever came down with a decision that she wanted... She had her team at the courthouse call the landscaping crew on the grounds while Macklow's lawyers like sped off to try to warn. It was it was perfect rich people badness. <laughs> um, link to the New York Times coverage of it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, that all got so bad. I'm pretty sure she ultimately gave that house to her daughter to deal with. Like, done. Out of here. So it was in the winter of 2001 and 2002 that things took a turn for Martha Stewart. This is kind of like deciding you want to get into pimping. According to a complaint filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, Martha sold off about 4,000 shares of biotech firm M-Clone Systems 
after being alerted by her broker that the company's CEO was dumping his own shares ahead of an adverse FDA ruling. Mm. Pretty explicitly insider trading, right? <laughs> like this is the broker really screwed up in telling her that like the all bad, all but bad. But to be fair, doesn't insider trading happen every day? Like rich people problems? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and we typically don't prosecute for that. We should probably. I. Anyway, Stewart would ultimately be accused and convicted of felony conspiracy, obstruction of an agency proceeding, and making false statements to federal investigators mm. as they looked into what they believed was likely an insider trading case. Notably, she was not prosecuted for insider trading, though. It was That's all remarkable. like lying to investigators. Mm -hmm. When they're looking into a thing you totally did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the specifics of why they charged that way. I'm sure they felt those were the easier ones to prove. Anyway, Martha Stewart, her broker, and that CEO of M-Clone, they were all convicted in this incident, and they all did a little bit of time. She served five months in a West Virginia federal prison, and there were plenty of people writing the business obituary of Martha Stewart when she walked into prison on the 8th of October in 2004. Yeah, I keep on writing. <laughs> Inside, the other inmates called her M. Diddy. When she was released in March of 05, she went home to a protracted period of home confinement and electronic monitoring. Like, in some ways, the way that there was sort of this staggered release process that took her like out of the public entirely while she was actually in prison. And then like she could only very slowly reemerge. I think it helped basically sure. the PR. Like she she couldn't just go out and be Martha hugely in the spotlight mm -hmm. right away. Yeah. Her return to prominence and her reinvention is something that they probably teach in public relations classes to this day. Martha herself had a good sense of humor publicly about what she had been through. And there was a lot of chatter at the time Noting that, like, gee, does anyone even remember the last time we prosecuted a guy for this? Nope. <laughs> this exact thing that happens all the time. Her broker said directly that he believed he was prosecuted because the feds wanted to nab his celebrity client. Right. Martha would eventually tell reporters that she couldn't even remember what she was prosecuted for, which had a way of changing the subject while also sort of driving home the fact that she wasn't actually prosecuted for insider trading. <laughs> I forgot what all those charges were that weren't insider trading. M. Diddy's done it. She's paid her time. Let her live. Yeah. In 08, she interviewed Snoop Dogg on her TV show, and the pair hit it off spectacularly. They made mashed potatoes together, and uh, Martha's were a little different than what Snoop was expecting oh, out, of a, out of a big stand mixer. They are old friends by now, and they've worked together extensively, including on Martha and Snoop's potluck dinner party on VH1 and a T-Mobile ad for the Super Bowl a few years ago. They really just do well together. Yeah, their unlikely friendship has been a heartwarming piece of Americana in this fraught few years that we've lived through. And that has also been a very good thing. As far as things with Andy go, I'm going to give Martha 29 trash cans for <laughs> okay. the number of years they were together. I don't know precisely what went on in their marriage, but I know that when your soon-to-be ex's first request is that a judge tell you to never speak to them again. Perhaps. It's a trashy divorce. It's a trashy divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, that is like Martha Stewart, domestic diva, 79 years old and still just, just a titan 
Titan. in business and branding and like rediscovering this whole new thing. She's oh, and she's she feuds with Gwyneth Paltrow, one of your old subjects, because oh, she does have an ongoing feud when with Gwyneth. Gwyneth launched Goop. Martha was like, "This is my this is my lane. Get out of my lane. Get out of my lane, Gwen." That's funny. And Gwyneth was like, "But I have jade eggs. I have candles that to smell like my blow up." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is Martha Stewart. That's a good thing. And snoopity. Thanks for that. That was a photo up. No, I like this. I feel like the last few weeks have been quite stressful. And so doing a couple of friends. We did this with Carrie Fisher and Penny Marshall, too. We put them in an episode because they're good friends. We did. We still don't have a title for this ep. So write in and let us know what you think the title <laughs> should be. <laughs> Maybe uh, I get by with a little help from my friends. I think that's, that's that probably works. Pretty, yeah. pretty apropos. And we're going to come back with more on their friendship on Patreon this week, right? For sure. They really do have uh, <laughs> some interesting stories that I've started to put together for Monday. On Tuesday on Patreon, we are going to be continuing our Swans series. Really good stuff there. Getting ready for our breakfast at Tiffany Book Club early February. Spiderwebs Wednesday is going to knock your socks off. And Thursday Nightcap Chat as well. Thanks, everybody, for coming and spending your time with us. We love, love, love your trashy hearts. De-stressing with trashy divorces. That's it. If you need more trash candy, you can find us on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. We will be back next Sunday with some more trash candy for you. All kinds of stuff. In the meantime, keep those hands super clean. Wear a mask. Oh, we're two masks. We're two masks. The new recommendation is two masks. Okay. So just put that in, in your put that on your trashy face and keep your hearts trashy till we can see you next week. <laughs> thanks everybody. Thanks everyone. Y'all have a great week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.